everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. I would also like to recommend Stitcher Premium if you're a fan of podcasts. If you like true crime or crime fiction, there are loads of podcasts out there for you. And with Stitcher Premium, you can listen to the exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage. You can also listen ad-free to episodes of your favorite podcasts. I've subscribed, and for only $4.99 a month, it's nice to have ad-free entertainment. Just go to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code CRIMECAFE, that's one word, all caps, to try it out absolutely free for a month. Hello, everyone. My guest today is an award-winning journalist who spent more than 20 years in Oregon newsrooms. I like that. He is not only a thriller novelist, but also a screenwriter. In fact, his first screenplay, an adaptation of his first thriller novel, Crashers, made the Nichols Fellowship semifinals in 2005. That's pretty impressive. It's my great pleasure to introduce thriller author, screenwriter, and Pacific Northwest native, Dana Haynes. Hi, Dana. Thanks for hey, being here. Peter. I'm so glad you can be here. <laughs> I'm so glad you're with us. Um, Oregon is just a beautiful state, and Portland's an awesome town. Do you do a lot of signings at Powell's, you know, back when you could do signings? <laughs> yes, we are incredibly fortunate to have many good independent bookstores in the Portland metropolitan area. We have several, so I will do one at the Powell's downtown or the Powell's in the suburbs or at Annie Bloom's or that we are very, very fortunate to have this ring of independent bookstores that go from the coast up into the mountains. And it's one of the blessings of being in Oregon to have any independent, thriving independent bookstores we have. Quick story, my wife and I went to Powell's the other day on a Saturday and everybody stood outside six feet apart. Everybody had masks on, everybody was patient, they're on their phones. You finally got to go in, the lines inside were very, very long. Nobody was kvetching, nobody was complaining. The luxury of having a bookstore, a world-class bookstore like that in the heart of downtown is something that we just don't ever kvetch about. I think that's awesome. That is so awesome. I love it. Um, all of it. <laughs> I'm interested in how you decided to branch out into writing thrillers, from journalism to thrillers. What brought you from one to the other? I'm not sure it was that order because my father was uh -huh. a huge fan of, of thrillers. And so when we were growing up, um, dad would read books that he thought were exciting and terrific. And he'd burst into your bedroom and throw them on your bed and say, you've got to read this. My father's a high school basketball coach. They talk like that. Quick, you've got to read this. Um, and so early on, I was reading Gunga Din and uh, Bo Jest and The Four Feathers and, and, and 
I was being brought up with those stories because my dad thought they were incredibly cool. So when I was, this is true story, when I was in high school, I thought I was either going to have a career in journalism, which was my first love, or as a novelist writing the kind of stories my dad would read. And lo and behold, I'm doing them both. Uh, I'm, I'm the most fortunate guy in the whole world. That's fantastic. That's really wonderful. And you're doing screenplays. At least not one. successfully, <laughs> but they're grand fun. They're really, really fun. I've had yeah. zero traction on them, but yeah, you know, whatever. Well, I understand that feeling. Uh, <laughs> uh, choosing to do screenplays, I, I sometimes wonder what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> but um, what is Crashers about? Did you write it with the thought in mind of adapting it into a screenplay? I did not. Uh, in about 1994, I read an article in the New Yorker magazine called The Crash Detectives by Jonathan Haar. And it was the story of the National Transportation Safety Board, those people who put together crash teams called crashers, that when if an, air, if an airplane falls out of the sky, these are the people who get together to figure out why. And I remember reading the article and thinking, oh my God, that's fantastic. What a, what a, what a wonderful thing to do. And somebody's gonna write a great novel about that. Years passed, years passed, and nobody wrote it. Um, and I th kept thinking, oh my God, what a great book. So. Good, great concept. I mean, so eventually around uh, 1999, I decided, damn it, they're going to make me write the bloody thing. So I started doing the research. I'm not a technically oriented person. Uh, so it took me a year to do the research into airplanes and wings and engines. And then um, decided it had to be an ensemble book. It was going to have 14 protagonistic characters. And that was really a difficult thing to do, too. But I'm real proud of that book. That book is a, a book that, uh, that I'm awfully, awfully proud of because I, I, I got some real good compliments from the actual NTSB and some violets. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Because um, I have to say, I looked at the description and I thought, whoa, I want to read this. <laughs> By the way, I love your poster back there. That's that fantastic man? too. <laughs> <laughs> My friends at Blackstone are really good about doing promotions for their authors, and I'm, I, I just, uh, by the way, this thing, you, you, I'm talking to you from my kitchen, and I can assure you my wife, Katie King, does not normally have this up. This is up just for you. We'll put it down, put up a mirror later. <laughs> well, it looks nice. I like it. I would put it in my kitchen, <laughs> but then that's me. I'd put a poster like that up if I had something like that. Wow. Um, let's see. I thought the, um, the concept for the series was interesting because you said just now 14 protagonist type characters. I did two books of the NTSB series when I was with uh, St. Martin's Press. There was that one and Breaking Point. And I realized early on that they had to be ensemble books. Um, and I realized after I'd written them how influenced I was by Michael Crichton's The Andromeda Strain. I went back and reread it a few years ago and I thought, oh yeah, it's a whole bunch of people government bureaucrats who come together with their different forms of expertise to solve a problem. In the event of an airplane crash, you're talking about pilots and uh, pathologists to do the autopsy, engineers, you get your cockpit voice recorder expert, your flight data recorder expert. All of these people bring their own expertise with them. And uh, it's very much a, uh, it, it, it had to be an ensemble book. So that was, that was, uh, it was, fun and challenging to do that one. And I'm really proud of those two books. The next two books at, at St. Martin's, I decided that was too difficult to keep up. So we took one of the characters from those two books and we gave her her own breakout books. The next two have 
like two protagonistic characters. And that was a much easier road to travel. To say the least, I mean, to, to start off a series tackling an ensemble, I mean, some people can't even write an ensemble show well, let alone <laughs> an ensemble book. It was all of this stuff you need to put into a book, you know? Wow. And I will say, I will say too, that my editor at, at uh, St. Martin's Press, Keith Kayla, had written these two books about airplane crashes and the investigations. And he took me to lunch one day in New York and said, Dana, do you know where we sell books? Airports. You're not helping. So that was the, we, we had to get rid of that, that theme after that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, hadn't thought of that. Other than the NTSB, okay, what made, what made, inspired you to focus on somebody else? I mean, why did you choose the protagonist you ended up choosing for the later books in the series? Uh, she was, she spoke to me. Uh, I, Keith, again, was my editor. And he said, I don't think we ought to do another ensemble book. I think we ought to do a, a single protagonist book. And I don't mind it being a breakout book from the, who is it going to be? And I said, it's going to be Daria. And he said, yep, that's who I think it's going to be as well. Daria Gibran is a former uh, Israeli soldier, a former Israeli spy. Uh, and um, what I really, all the other protagonistic characters have PhDs and master's degrees. And she's the person with the gun who actually runs towards the bad guys. And uh, she was tremendous fun. And I got to tell you, at my age, I grew up with uh, Emma Peel of the Avengers and Modesty Blaze, that brilliant British comic strip. And so I was inculcated with tough, strong women protagonists when I was a little kid. The, the people who do the rescuing in these stories are the women, right? And so I, when I had a chance to do to a single protagonist, I said, it's got to be Daria. And Keith said, yep, that's who I think it is too. And she, her dialogue is fun to write. She's um, a, uh, an absolute blast. And I really, yeah, I did two books with her before my contract at St. Martin's ended. And they were, a, they were a blast. Well, I got to tell you, they sound really fantastic to me. Um, and I always love a book with strong female characters in it. So, yeah, and you got me with Mrs. Peel right there. So, <laughs> Um, I also picked up a copy of St. Nicholas Salvage and Wrecking, which is not your average thriller title, I must say. I know it's not. <laughs> and it starts off by just grabbing you by the throat and dragging you right into an escalating conflict. Then the shooting starts and the running. So are you um, planning to turn this into a screenplay? And if not, why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> Because when uh, they asked for that book, they said, I mean, we want a sequel. So I got busy right away writing Shiraka, which comes out in January. And then I got a, a two book contract after that too. So I've been pretty darn busy with my uh, side job of, of fiction writing. I still have a day job, I'm a, a newspaper editor. Um, so that's been keeping me really going. I think my stuff is cinematic by, by nature. And so it's really exciting to translate it. And I think, as you know, probably from the Sam McRae books, that screenwriting is a great diagnostic tool. When I adapted Crashers into a screenplay, I found every hole in the plot. Um, and it was, I was just thrilled that I did it because it made, uh, I could go back and make it into a better book. So yeah, at some point, I really do want to take the protagonists of these new books, Finnegan and Fierro, and do a screenplay of them because I'm, I'm enjoying them a lot. Well, that's fantastic. And I got to say, it reminds me of something that somebody once said to me, 
you're a novelist with the screenwriters screaming to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, it, it's just really, you know, there's kind of just this urge to do it, I guess. I mean, yeah. and I can't explain it. I don't know. Um, but the real bones of character and story come out in that format. Yeah. When you come down to it. Um, tell us, let's see, what are you working on now? Well, I, the sequel is done. It's, it's called Scirocco, and it takes mm -hmm. our two characters, Michael Finnegan and Katzel and Fierro de Har, into their next adventure. And quickly, where the, where the series came from, I'm a journalist. And in my research in my newspaper world, I discovered that the International Criminal Court has got lawyers and judges and clerks and, and technical people, but they don't have cops. There is no law enforcement arm at the International Criminal Court. And I remember thinking, well, that's amazing. That explains why when Slobodan Milosevic and Radovan Karadzic from Yugoslavia were brought forth on war crime trials, it took 25 years to get them there because they essentially invited them to come be, be tried. Um, would you care to show up for a trial? We'll have it catered. You know, it's like, it, um, <laughs> that's the way it works. So I thought, aha, in the real world, there's a need for somebody who goes to find the worst of the worst people and drop them off at the court. Uh, and so that was, that was really fun. The second thing I really wanted to do in this book, I really wanted to do this, was I wanted to have a male and a female protagonist who are co-equals and not love interests. In no way is this Michael's book and Catalin is, is around it, nor is it Catalin's book and Michael's around it. They, uh, they are very much co-equal and they're best friends and they complement and supplement each other and they understand each other's weaknesses and, and character deficits. And um, I just had not read that in an in a action thriller mystery realm before. I had not seen that male and female co-protagonists. And so that was really exciting to me to try that. So this was fun. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. You know, no need for a romantic interest, just two people working together, having right. to be male and female. They just have to have a great deal of respect for each other and have different skills. And so it's, and they're fun to write. So basically uh, the premise is that uh, these people find bad people and bring them before international tribunals. Is that it? Right. Yeah, exactly. And Michael's an ex-cop and he believes there's, you know, things should be done by the book and he's very stern about it. And Catalan is a former spy and assassin for the, the Spanish king. Um, and uh, she believes there is no book. There's only a win and a loss. And anything you do to stay in the win category is fine. So somewhere between those two people, one who's got a big old stick up his butt and one who doesn't believe any rules at all, they have to find a way to come together and bridge their, what they lack in each other. So Michael brings one skill set and, and uh, Catalan Fierro brings another skill set. And uh, basically what they're doing is criminal. I mean, they are kidnapping people and taking them across international borders. Um, and uh, they, both of them have very large families that they're hiding this from. Michael comes from a cop family in New York. Catalan's mom and dad are uh, liberal aristocrats from Spain, uh, acad academia and the business community. So it, ha getting them to find this orbit that has nothing to do with their familial orbits is a, is, is a, has been a fun needle of thread. I've really enjoyed it. There's almost a spy-like aspect to their lives. There's a secret part that they can't tell anybody else. I can't right. talk about my work stuff. <laughs> what do they tell people if somebody asks? 
Um, St. Nicholas Salvage and, Rest, uh, and, and Wrecking is a fictional uh, uh, marine salvage operation uh, based out of Cyprus, uh, where they have their headquarters. And that's how they launder their money. Now, by the way, laundering money is the national pastime in Cyprus. I think you could actually get a letterman's jacket for laundering money in that country. Um, I'll have to so, keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not for me, but for my characters. <laughs> that's where the Russians go when they want to launder money. They go to Cyprus. And by the way, I got to go to Cyprus to do the research for, the, for this book. Um, and uh, uh, they, have this, they have this business on the side that they don't do anything with, but the banks in Cyprus are so corrupt, they don't need to. They can just say, this is what we do, and they make up business cards, and then they're fine. So um, uh, that, was, uh, that was a fun bit of business, and having to hide from their families, they're close to both of their families, what it is they actually do made for a kind of a fun dynamic. I was really enjoying it. What sort of research did you have to do to really get to know the characters and situations in the different books you've written? I am incredibly fortunate that I've got, had, had the luxury of traveling. Uh, so I went for, the, uh, for this book, I went to the former Yugoslavia and drove with a friend through all of that area. I went and spent two weeks uh, in Cyprus, uh, meeting people, talking to people. Uh, went to France, went to Spain. Uh, for the next book, Chiraco coming out, I spent a lot of time in Spain, and I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to do that. And I basically do a very weird and broad kind of research, which is I go to these places and I hang out and I talk to people and I find out what's going on, but I don't go with the checklist. I just kind of go and say, what am I going to see? And um, we, we got to Cyprus, and Cyprus has the last split capital in the world, like Berlin used to be, where you walk up to the Turkish guard and you hand them the passport and they stamp it and you walk 20 paces and hand it to the Greek uh, guard and they stamp it because Turkey controls the upper one third of the island and, Tur and Greece controls the lower two thirds of the island. It's been that way since 1974. So that was fascinating. And uh, uh, also I was doing an international thriller book and uh, Cyprus is in Eastern uh, Mediterranean and Turkey's directly above it and Israel is to due east as is Syria and Egypt is due south. So if you were going to do an international thriller book, you can't do better than, you know, location, location, location. I mean, that was really grand fun. And then the former Yugoslavia was just, and I always learn things when I'm on the ground in places like that, that I had no idea I was looking for. Um, the, the, if you go with a very specific checklist of research, you'll find those things. But if you just go with an open mind and look around, you will be knocked out by the stuff that you get that gives you a depth and a breadth of your research that just it adds a je ne sais quoi to your novels. It, it, I, I've been very fortunate. Wow. So you do a lot of research, basically boots on the ground as well as say online research? Yes, I do a lot of online research that I don't trust because online research can be intrinsically wrong. And so being a journalist myself, I will find something that seems pretty darn interesting and then I will search further into the internet to see if I can find some second source or third source or fourth source that agrees with it. And once I do, then I think, oh, that, that's pretty good. My wife is a, is a writer as well. And so Katie and I, when we travel, um, I take notes, copious notes, she takes photos. And then uh, later I have both my notes and her photos uh, to, for research purposes, which has been tremendously ha handy. I want to tell you, when you go to a place like uh, Milan, Italy, for instance, and you're at the cathedral, the soldiers in front of the cathedral, A, look to be 12 years old, and B, have Uzis, which is a frightening combination. Nobody should have yeah. acne and Uzis at the same time. And so I have a uh, 100 pictures 
of my wife, Katie King, in one corner of the frame and behind her is a soldier that I'm shooting so I can say what the soldier's uniform looks like, what kind of gun he's got, uh, whether or not they have a sidearm or whether or not they wear a beret or whatever. Because I don't want to be shooting photos of these guys because they they look like they're adolescents with guns. So I shoot photos of my wife, who's an incredibly good sport, and get like one, her eye and her ear, and the rest of it are images of these soldiers. <laughs> she's, she's an awfully good sport, that's all I can say. <laughs> That's great. Well, she's a writer, so she understands. Right. Let's see. And you mentioned Michael Crichton. Who else would you consider among your favorite writers? Crichton was really influential for me, although he wrote some books that weren't very good, and he wrote one about airplanes called Airframe that I thought was dreadful. And then The Andromeda Strain was a huge influence on me. There was an English uh, author named Philip MacDonald who wrote about 30... 35 mysteries. Um, the most famous one he ever wrote was The List of Adrian Messenger. Um, note, do not see the movie. The movie's too dreadful. But he, do read the book. Because I go back and reread the book about once every 10 years. Because The List of Adrian Messenger is an absolutely stunningly brilliant uh, analysis of how to put together a, a mystery. It's just, it's just tremendously good. Um, uh, of modern writers, writers who I really think uh, keep me inspired and keep me excited, uh, Meg Gardner uh, is, is, is really wonderful. I'm going back and reading her early ones right now, her, uh, but she's got a new series of, of Blackstone that I think is brilliant, dead brilliant too. I'm a huge Lee Child fan. I'm sorry to see that Lee Child retired this year because uh, I think his Reacher books have been quite tremendous. And then, as I said earlier, I was influenced by the books my dad read, uh, Bo Jest and Gunga Din and, and, and uh, stories of, of adventurous exploits. I ordered a book through uh, Powell's. I got to tell you, this summer with the, with the pandemic, I've been ordering one book from an independent bookstore every week, and I bounce which independent bookstore it is um, because I want these guys to stay alive. So, But I just got in the mail uh, yesterday uh, The Count of Monte Cristo because I've never read it. And I thought, well, this is your opportunity. Get to it. So um, I'm influenced by some really old and traditional mystery writers. And then some people are writing right now are just knock my socks off. Well, that's wonderful. All around, I mean, that you're supporting independent bookstores that way is fantastic. They support me. That's great. Yeah. Um, let's see. Is there a favorite movie you have or one that you wish you had written? <laughs> Uh, um, the Peace, uh, Peacekeeper, which was, came out in 1998, um, uh, um, George Clooney, Nicole Kidman, and it's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant, um, uh, thriller. And the reason it's brilliant, and by the way, there'll be some spoiler warnings here, I'll give some away. At the beginning of the, of the movie, it appears to be a story about really well-organized and really well-financed terrorists who steal 20 nuclear weapons from a train in Russia. And there's a very exciting opening sequence with one train's moving, the other train's moving, and they hijack the missiles off the moving train. Tremendously exciting. And they actually leave one behind and blow it up, and there's an explosion on the Russian steps. Oh, my God, this is a very big international story. Then later you find out the story is not as big as you thought it was. It's actually one corrupt Russian general who stole his own nukes so he could steal them. And now our protagonists aren't looking for this spooky James Bondy type of villain. They're looking for one corrupt guy trying to get a payday. Then later you find out it's not even that guy. It's one incredibly 
a grief-ridden music teacher from Sarajevo who was so angry at the, at the UN peacekeepers that didn't keep the peace in his country that he wanted one of those missiles and helped finance the project to get the other 20. And as Nicole Kidman's character says, I'm not fearful of the man who wants 20 missiles. I'm scared to death of the man who wants one. And it starts with a train chase and with the, the, uh, the explosion, and it ends with a foot chase with a antagonist who is out of shape and breathing badly and has crummy shoes as he's running through New York with a backpack, a cheap backpack and a nuclear primer in it. Mm. So they had the audacity to take the story and get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, more human, more human, more personal, more personal. It was a gutsy move by the storytellers. And I'm embarrassed right now to tell you, I can't think of the name of the woman who directed it. Um, Wow. Mimi Mimi Laterer directed it. Brilliant film. Thank you for that recommendation. <laughs> I'll have to add it to the list. Is there um, anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? Oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm having so much fun with, with the, this work that we do that you get to write these books. And this year I didn't get to go to the World Mystery Convention or Thriller Fest in New York City. I'm really sad not to do that because it, for your listeners and, and, and your audience, if you ever get a chance to go to one of these conventions, you've got to go. And the reason you go is because great, wonderful, tremendous uh, writers are there and they want to interact with the, the audience. They're, you know, you'll ride an elevator up with, I rode an elevator up decades and decades ago with Sue Grafton. Sue Grafton was like excited to talk to me in an elevator. Sue Grafton. I know. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh it's um, there is not a writer I've ever met who doesn't want somebody to come up and say, God, I loved your book. Uh, the Lee Child would blush if you walked up to him and said it. He was selling billions of books. Um, uh, it's it's it, it, I, that I really do miss uh, the interaction of those thriller festivals there. I think they're tremendous fun and I learn from them all the time. Um, and uh God willing, we're going to have a uh, vaccine in the not too distant future, and we're going to start getting coming around the corner on this pandemic. But in the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun writing my books, and we're going to try. Come January, I've got a new one, Scirocco, coming out, and we're going to try and figure out how the heck do you launch a book in a pandemic? I don't know yet. (laughs) We're going to figure it out. I'm sure where there's a will, there's a way. Best of luck with that. That's fantastic. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I definitely have to um, read some of your books now. I mean, Thanks. I've got um, the first one there, uh, the, uh, the Saint, uh, I've forgotten the name Saint already. That's it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's a long title. <laughs> it is. It's an unusual title, too. Mm-hmm. But um, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, and no. it's been fun talking to you. Thanks so much. Sure. Um, For everyone who's watching or listening, uh, remember that Dana has a book giveaway going while it lasts. So check that out. Um, Also check out the podcast's Patreon page while you're at my website and looking for his um, guest post. Um, I I give early access and bonus episodes and more for people who support the podcast on Patreon. Um, so please support the pod people. I will avoid making a Kevin McCarthy joke here. Mm. In two weeks, we'll have Lindsay Richardson with us. 
In the meantime, take care and happy reading.